Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog, and joining me today, I'm so excited to have from the I'm in Love with That Song podcast, Brad Page. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great, Alex. I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. It's funny. You and I, uh, we got to meet in person when we were at Rock and Pod a couple months yeah. ago, and uh, we recorded a little bit of an episode there uh, that I've been meaning to post, but uh, the audio quality, I, I must tell my listeners, is a little questionable if that ever com- comes out. We were in a room with a bunch of people talking, so uh, it's it's a little rough, but maybe someday the first episode will come out. But this is our uh, first podcast episode together, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was great being at the show together, and uh, we had some fun there, so looking forward to this. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to nerd out today about one of my favorite things. So I've been listening to your podcast quite a bit. Uh, I discovered you and you have like a great backlog of episodes. Everybody can go should go check out. I'm in love with that song because thank you. They're like these great little bite-sized episodes of podcasts. They don't require too much of your time. Just like if you need like a little 15, 20 minute burst, there it is. And I've noticed you like me have a love and fondness for live albums. In fact, even sometimes when you pick a song, you pick the live version of the song. Like when you did Mm -hmm. David Bowie station to station. Right. And uh, I have I have a real love affair with live records. Uh, to me, they're a, kind of a lost art now in a way. I don't see a lot of bands doing them anymore, but it seemed like there was this great period in the 70s where like it was like as serious as like having like a platinum record. Like, you know, you had to have a hit, you had to have a live record, you had to have a greatest hits album. You know, yeah. it was like part of like the required thing to, thing of being an artist. Like, what was it like kind of being part of that live record boom at the time, like being a young music fan? Well, there was an arc to it. Originally, live records were considered fillers by pretty much everyone involved. They were contract obligation records. They were uh, stopgap measures for when a band was maybe taking too long in the studio to come out with their next record. Um, But slowly over time, there were certain live records that, that became the the breaking album for a particular band. We'll talk about some of those, I'm sure. Or they were maybe not the album that broke a band, but they were surprise hits. And that all came to a fruition with Peter Frampton's Frampton Comes Alive. It's the archetypal, the cliched live album.
Here's a guy, great songwriter, amazing guitar player, still underrated, I think, as a guitar player. Oh, yeah. Who had a string of solo albums that sold diddly squat and nobody cared and got a slight FM radio play, but uh, totally under the radar and uh, came out with that live record. And there was something, something in the air where it just all hit. All those songs had been on previous records. Um, but for some reason, uh, they just really worked in this live album context and, and people went, went nuts. And that was the pinnacle of the live album. And then, so from that point, then it flipped to be where like, oh my God, the band doesn't have an album together. Let's scrape together a live record and put that out right from the record company perspective that changed right. to, well, that guy had a big hit with a live record. Now you guys put together a live record and right. it became obligatory just like post sergeant pepper every band had to do their sergeant pepper right their quote right. unquote sergeant pepper whether they were capable of it or not which led to ton and this is this is a, <laughs> a side detour but i love 60s psychedelic music in garage rock it's a real yeah. passion of mine and there are tons of these wannabe sergeant pepper records that range from you know slight misses to pretty dreadful but i there's a charm to them that i love but it was just like you know well you know well the beatles did it um we got to do it that's what's in and then post albums like phantom comes alive suddenly everybody had to do their live record which was a boon to a lot of bands and a lot of great live records came out and um it really became part of uh just it was the listening experience i mean if you listen to the commercial fm radio stations you were always hearing live tracks because there were so many live albums that, that were out um and then that eventually evolved into I remember for me, the breaking point actually was the Eagles live album. Now, people oh, wow. love to shit on the Eagles. Uh, I happen to like the Eagles, but that live album is so antiseptic that, that it might as well be a studio record. And all the charm and magic of a live record to me is, is just not in that album. And that was kind of the first time where I remember hearing a live record that didn't do anything for me from a band that I liked, that I was looking forward to and hearing it and thought, ah, this just fell, fell flat. I'd rather just listen to the studio versions. It's um, very stiff. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. I mean, they're all great players and they're all great singers. And so I don't know if it was super studio doctored or if it was just, you know, over perfectionized, if that's a word, yeah, it's uh, awesome. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so then you kind of had this slide into, I think, what what has been sort of the slow decline of live albums, where to me, there's just hasn't really been very many live records since the 70s that that reach that pinnacle. But um, in, in its heyday, man, I just think there are some some killer live albums that just blow the studio records away. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. I'm glad we're in agreement on where it breaks out, too, because it's funny. I tried to do some like really strung together research of like okay when did live albums really start to kind of like their trajectory start to go up and the internet was not as kind to me as i was hoping it would be but i was able to kind of guess like okay frampton is where it started so i'm glad i got that right uh yeah well i wouldn't say it's where it started but it's where it hit its commercial peak right and it's where 
again, where the record companies started really paying attention and saying, you know, because they're always chasing a trend. Yeah. And that was the trend. And suddenly everybody and their grandmother was putting out live records. So, so live acts, amazing live acts, middling acts, (laughs) pretty awful acts. It doesn't matter. Everyone had a live album. Yeah, even even disco had a live album that I think Donna Summer put out a live right. album. Yep. That's true. Yep. So yeah, and Barry Manilow had a live album. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like the hits, some of the biggest radio hits you mentioned. I just want to name off a few because, like, I was thinking about that too. Like, show me the way, Peter Frampton, obviously. Yep. Turn the page, Bob Seger. Maybe yep. I'm amazed, Paul McCartney and Wings. Like that yep. was a huge one. Of course, mm-hmm. Rock and Roll Night. I want you to want me. Uh, yeah, so many just massive, massive hits because of them too. So, and I also, I don't know if you did this with them at the time, but I like, I'm not a big fan of buying greatest hits collections. I'll be honest, unless there's a new track or I'm not (laughs) that big of a fan of the band. Like I'm a casual listener. I don't Mm -hmm. like to buy a band's greatest hits collection just because I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to the records. Right. But this is a good way. If you're trying to get a sample of a band, like maybe you're not in the mood to listen to a full, like a full album. It's a good way to get like a de facto hits fix in. Like, do you kind of do the same thing? Yeah, I am in total agreement. I in general am not uh, a fan or a listener of greatest hits records. Uh, I like to hear the music in the context of what else was being created at that time. Uh, so just listening to the hits, I mean, that's like listening to classic rock radio where, okay, fine, play the same three songs by Led Zeppelin and then play the same three songs by REO Speedwagon or whatever. Like, yeah. I want to hear something different. And when I hear those songs, I want to hear them in the context of the records in which they were they were created. Um, so I'm not a fan of, of uh, greatest hits records, but I'm a huge fan of live records. And I know this is somewhat controversial among big music fans like do you count the live records as albums in the sequence of albums or do you look at them like greatest hits where they kind of stand outside you don't count a greatest hits record in like you know okay so they recorded album a and then recorded album b and then album c and then they did a greatest hits record you know they don't go you know if you're a big fan of a band typically you don't think of that the greatest hits records are just sort of sit on the side and you look at their catalog independent of greatest hits records. And some people put the live records in that same thing, but I do not. To me, they are part of the context of the band's actual career. And so um, to me, they're right in, in sequence. You know, you don't, um, you don't go from Kiss, Dress to Kill into Kiss Destroyer uh, without Alive being in there. Exactly, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to touch on is because I mean, I love music from the 70s. I love music from the 80s and the 90s. But I feel like there's something about a live record that can take a song that maybe was a little middle speed on the record and just bump it up a few notches Mm -hmm. on a live record. Like, I love it when a record takes songs that I already like and kind of gives them like an extra kick in the ass. And I feel like a lot of 70s records did that. Yeah, yeah. That's to me uh, a, a make or break element of a live record is does it add something new, Uh, which is... Again, that that Eagles live record, not to crap on the Eagles, but on that album and many live albums that followed, to me, they lost that sense of adventure, of the of taking a chance and doing something really different uh, with a live performance. And, uh, and a lot of those 70s live albums, the, you know, the, the studio records are 
versions are significantly different than the live versions. And that to me is what makes the live versions magical. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no one really wants like my least favorite live records are usually the ones where it feels too close to the studio. Like yeah. there's, a, there's a band from the seventies. I love called Atlanta rhythm section, yep. but their live record, it feels very much like a greatest hits album with crowd noise. Yeah, all ex- it is. exactly. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Well, let's get into this. So we right. each kind of picked uh, 10 of our favorites, not necessarily our 10 favorites of all time, <laughs> because honestly, that would be really hard. And I just wanted to have some fun with this. This is kind of a laid sure. back episode. So Brad, being you are the guest, why don't you go first? Well, I've already mentioned it, but my first choice uh, is Kiss Alive. <laughs> Because that is the album that uh, meant so much to me. Um, I've talked about it on my podcast before, but uh, my first real rock and roll album was uh, uh, Rock and Roll Over nice. by Kiss. Uh, but, and I love that record. But the album that just made me head over heels for not just kiss but rock and roll in general and sucked me in in big time was this album kiss alive and it's the perfect example of a band that had middling success until this record the all the songs on this record none of them are new they're all on their previous albums but to me the versions on here are he- head and shoulders above anything on their studio records uh, and I know every Kiss fan knows the story about how this record was made and how much of it really was quote unquote live. Doesn't matter. The versions on here, they feel live. They are, they are so alive with energy and feeling and, and just the, 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 the hype that you get from a live show is all, all in this record. And it uh it's just i mean i don't think there's a bad track on it two records set um everything about it captures the excitement of seeing a great live band and in this was back in the day before there was youtube before there was much rock and roll at all on television and so you'd get a record like this and you would listen to it and you'd hear the explosions and the crowd noise and you try to visualize what was going on on stage you know what did the band look like when the crowd roars what were they doing and you would try to play this whole concert out in your head and uh this 
album probably inspired me to pick up guitar. Uh, actually, my first instrument was drums. I was a pretty middling drummer. But at the time, <laughs> I used to think Peter Chris's drum solo on 100,000 Years was that he was the greatest drummer in history because that drum solo was so great. The reality was that was the first drum solo I ever heard. So, you know, my context was limited. But just the idea of what it would be like to be on stage and play that drum solo or play those guitar licks really uh, just inspired me so much. I used to play so much air guitar to this record when I was a... I don't know, 13, 14 year old kid in seventh and eighth grade. It was, it was huge. And it, it's for, for better or worse, it's very responsible for me sitting here today doing this podcast. Nice. Yeah. That record is incredible. It didn't make my list. I was really close. I wanted to do it, but I ended up nudging it out for something else. But yeah, that is, that's a stone cold classic. And yep. that album, like you talked about visual, like the art that comes with it, like just seeing the pictures of the stage and on the back and the yeah. audience and just right. that I can only imagine how captivating that was for me. It was all very shrunk down on the CD. Like I didn't have the fat boy. I have the uh, one that's like the slim case. It's got them mm -hmm. in the two. So yeah, that I can only imagine getting the vinyl and opening it up and just seeing all that and hearing the bombs go off the first time. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. My, my favorite track on there is on that album is uh, I love the version of watching you on there. It just sounds so much more monstrous than the one on hotter than hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a great track. Uh, I'm a huge fan of let me go rock and roll. It's, it's probably the fastest song on the album. You know, a lot of these songs are kind of mid tempo, Yeah, um, but they really crank it up. Ace goes nuts on guitar. It's playing is great on that record, but the, you know, there's like, I said, there's really not a bad, number on here but so many great songs but to me they're all all these versions are better than the studio versions it's just you know even if they had just re-recorded it all in the studio and pretended it was live i don't care it feels live it smells live it sounds live to me i'm all in on this record it feels so live that i remember i went back and listened to my dad's hotter than hell cassette after hearing alive and i at first i was like something's wrong with this tape that, that that got to choose is much too slow what's going on here yeah. and i and i tried it on a bunch of different like tape players we had in the house like no no that's actually how it's supposed to sound oh yeah <laughs> and it kind of yeah. like that's yeah. a weird sounding record to begin with but yeah after to me after you listen to these versions going back to the studio versions they just really lack that that live spirit nice well i always put a little clip of uh, what we talk about here so what's going to be your pick for the album let me go rock and roll yeah, let's play something from that. All right. My first pick is um, I initially uh, was going to pick this band's uh, 70s live record, but if I'm being honest, the one that I listen to the most from this band is uh, one that came out in the 80s, and that's uh, Deep Purple, Nobody's Perfect.
this was the album that got me into the band. Um, I heard they were touring with Alice Cooper a couple years ago. And uh, I picked this up because I figured, again, you know, a little sampling of everything. And uh, it really pulled me in. Like, I love how much energy this album has. I love, like, the little off-ramps into other songs that sometimes happen. Like, at one point during Strange Kind of Woman, Ian Gillen and Richie Blackmore start doing <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar, just for the heck of it. And yeah. it's just so, like, Ian's humor just comes through on this album. And the band is great. There's, like, extended solos, like... Uh, why am I blanking on the man's name? Uh, John Lord, his, yeah. his, his, his organ solo at the beginning of Knock on Your Back Door on here where he plays Bach and like just some other little like piano stuff is so cool. Like I can see him like, you know, just fiddling around with the spotlight on him and then bringing the song in. I can see Ian Gillen running around the stage and screaming during Child in Time. Like th again, that's a, it puts on a movie in your head and it just feels mm -hmm. all so relaxed. And it's funny to read about this album uh, you know, online because, you know, Richie says, oh, Ian wasn't that good that tour. We were all fighting. Nobody was getting along. But everybody sounds like they're having fun here. This is just such a fun record record to me. Like, I can't not lo love this one. And it's got songs from uh, Perfect Strangers, which is my favorite Deep Purple album, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got any thoughts on this one? Uh, not on that record in particular, but uh, we will be talking about Deep Purple again soon on this podcast. So. <laughs> nice yeah i'm glad to hear it. yeah absolutely love it and uh ian peak vocal form here for sure still i mean child in time gives me chills every time i hear it mm. it's a dark song uh i'm gonna go for my pick from this one i'm gonna go knocking at your back door
such a fun song. A little bit of a goofy song too when you listen to the lyrics, but man, this is a fun record, no doubt about it. Cool. Yep. All right. This uh release June 88. What you got next? Uh my next record uh is if you can see it there, it's oh, uh, Aerosmith yeah. Aerosmith Live Bootleg, released nice. October It's primarily drawn from a series of shows. It's not one concert. It's from a series of shows from 77 and 78. Although there are two tracks on here that go way back to March 1973 at a local Boston club. And you know, that's, I'm from the area, uh, called Paul's Mall. And uh, this album is kind of what we were talking about before, where you talk about uh how sometimes bands would stretch out or would take songs to a slightly different place live and this record many of these songs do that they mix things up uh on walk this way joe perry plays a talk box not on the yeah. original album <laughs> yeah um yeah there's you know a lot of those things they they uh they they uh just kind of add a different feel or different instrumentation or mix things up and and so they are noticeably different than the studio versions uh, and that's what I love about it. Um, you know, it's it can be a little bit sloppy, oh, but yeah. they were going for that. Uh, See, in fact, sweet emotion. I've, yeah, from what I from what I've read, uh, the the record company never quite got it. You know, they wanted a slick, smooth live album, and these guys were trying to capture the feel of a real bootleg album. Hence the title, live bootleg. They wanted it to to look and feel like a bootleg record. Um, so a lot of it's rough and ready, but to me, that's the charm of it. Um, it's 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 all it's so much great material on here for me the standout tracks are just walk this way i mean i know it's a tired song but the what the version on here right. is just different enough that it it brings new life into the song the version of last child i think kicks ass and uh going back to that that 1973 show they do their version of james brown's mother popcorn which is something to behold and it's like in a bar you know it's before they were an arena band they're playing in a bar they have a friend of theirs comes up and plays saxophone on the track um it's just you know great 
no frills rock and roll and and with a little bit of funk and soul thrown in there um they were they were just such a great meat and potatoes rock and roll band with that funk swagger and to me that's what makes a, a great band for me i i gotta have some some funk in my hard rock to really make it work for me and and aerosmith has that in spades so i'm a big fan of that record aerosmith live bootleg i love that record too man that was my uh i was growing up mostly like hearing the uh the later 80s aerosmith stuff the early 90s stuff which isn't <laughs> bad it's just it's a different brand of aerosmith for sure and yeah. i remember wanting to dive back dive into the 70s stuff at one point i remember on the same day i bought aerosmith live bootleg and ozzy osbourne bark at the moon i was a freshman in high school and those two records really made my made my freshman year of high school they were so important <laughs> to me and man live live bootleg it was just such a trip hearing you know the band that had done you know crazy and i don't want to miss a thing make this like sl- like play this like sloppy in your face rock and roll album and it's so cool like chip away the stone i love that song a lot yep. it's such a great tune um yep. i love steven tyler just randomly blurting out and all those things you do motherfucker come back to you and dream on yeah like i love stuff like that uh i love the kind of chaotic sweet emotion uh yep. i i love i ain't got you the other song from the bootleg yeah i thought was super cool and then i love yep. how after you come out of uh, mother popcorn draw the line is there and it's not in the track list it's just kind right. of appended a- on that's a typical bootleg thing, right? If you many bootlegs, they always had the track listing was always slightly wrong, right? So they left that one off, off this album just to give it that feel. But yeah, it it's uh, it's great. The, there's the version of "Come Together" on here was recorded in their their practice space, uh, the yeah. place they called the warehouse uh, in Massachusetts. So it's it's live, but it's not in front of an audience necessarily. Um, it's just an interesting mix of. Uh, of material, but I think it's a great place to start with Aerosmith. Uh, and, um, yeah, again, I, I love this. I love this record. Yeah. Great choice. I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked that. Yeah. That was another one too. That was really close to me. Just didn't end up making the cut. Yeah. Yeah. And we should probably say, uh, to the listening audience that neither one of us knows each other's picks. Uh, yeah. we did not, we did not as per Siskel and Ebert fashion, we did not consult each other before the show so it's interesting to see where we cross and and uh, and do not so oh, yeah. i'm glad so, you love that record too yeah uh, classic probably honestly probably my favorite aerosmith thing to listen to still to this day mm-hmm. Look out. we're gonna bring somebody up on stage now with us a mr david woodward gonna blow some sacks Hey, hey, 
Um, I get the feeling I'm going to be a lone wolf on this next one, but man, uh, Wasp live in the raw. I'm blind in Texas! such a this is a super important live record to me because i'm a big alex cooper fan and i was a big marilyn manson fan and i'm a big rob zombie fan i love theatricality in my rock and roll i think it's really cool and for years i'd just seen the wasp videos on vh1 classic you know i grew up in rural north dakota and like the nearest the closest thing to a record store was like best buy that was like 90 minutes from where i lived their selection was not great like so i didn't see any wasp cds until i moved out to hollywood and uh, I remember like picking this up and cause they were such like a legendary band to me. Like I just knew wild child and I want to be somebody and getting this and just, man, the energy leaps off this thing. I love inside the electric circus. I love their cover of, I don't need no doctor. So, so great. So heavy, like all of that early, like, you know, Rami girls on, on the bondage rack and like rock and roll, like Blackie just pissed off. Like it just come, it seeps through on this album. It's like, it's, Alice Cooper on steroids and I love it so so much and Blackie's voice on this album just cuts like a chainsaw it's so cool that he's able to do that like live rasp like that he does on the record live it's really I'm, I'm not trying to explain it but he has a really unique voice and I love that and it's uh 10 of the best songs from that early era uh the that their famous animal f like a b song's not on here but um there's better songs than that on here. There's Blind in Texas, uh, Sleeping in the Fire, Nine Five Nasty, uh, The Manimal. Uh, yeah, this thing's a classic for me. I love this record. Uh, Wasp fan bread? No, not really. Um, but you know what? If it works for you, I'm all in. Yeah, I, I had a feeling I might be alone alone on this one, but that's that's perfectly fine. Um, that's that's the joy of music, right? Is is how we each have our all of our favorites whatever whatever works for you man. i'm all I, you know no i'm not a believer in guilty pleasures i kind of yeah. feel like whatever you love just love it you know unabashedly love it nice yeah i'm gonna go for my pick uh check out sleeping in the fire great song Thank you. 
well. This was released uh, November 27th, 1987. So birthday's coming up pretty soon, just like mine is. (laughs) Well, my next pick, um, this may be a little bit more obscure. Uh, This is Elvin Bishop, a record called Live Raisin Hell. Um, Right now, I think we'd like to go back and get one of those oldies. This is off our uh, first Capricorn album. Stealing watermelons. What? Elvin Bishop is probably considered by most of the world a one-hit wonder, fooled around and fell in love, right? Yeah, that's all I know. Um, he, but he had a fair, pretty long career, and he's still alive and kicking out there now. Um, but he uh, he came up playing in the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. He was their second guitarist, the, oh. Mike, Mike Bloomfield, who was the, kind of the star of, of that band. Um, but when that band split, he started his own thing. And um, again, another artist that had a bunch of uh, pretty spotty solo albums. I'll, you know, I, I'll be honest about that. They're not so great. A lot of the records, they tend to have a couple of good songs and a, well, a lot of more or less filler on those studio records. Um, and then somehow managed to have a big hit in the 70s. Uh, AM radio hit as yep. well as FM radio with Fooled Around and Fell in Love featuring the vocals of one Mickey Thomas, who was a great singer who would go on to do other things that people, some people love and some people hate. But, <laughs> but when he was uh, with Elvin Bishop, it was a very R&B-centric band. Um, you know, they kind of get lumped in with Southern rock, but I don't really see them as a Southern rock band. They're sort of a, a, a bluesy R&B uh, rock band. And uh, this record is... Again, it's a case of a songs that, even as a fan, I'm not a big fan of of the studio versions of these. But on here, every one of these songs is so full of life, and it is just a fun record. You get a sense of seeing this band and Elv, uh, Elvin in particular was just fun. A lot of his uh, conversations with the audience—they're just—they're funny. Um, it's uh, it's just. It's just a, a great record. The band, it's a nine-piece band plus, oh, wow. plus four horn players. So it's a huge band. Um, and and there's a lot of jamming on this record. It uh, came out in July of 1977. Um, there's a, For me, the standout songs are the ones that are more jammy. There's a song on here called Calling All Cows that to me is exactly what you want in an extended jam it's it's not noodly it it builds and uh 
it just kind of you know it comes together it's not just just sort of when is this going to be over like <laughs> like a lot of yeah. jams can be um it you know it really takes you on a little mini journey as just them jamming and but it's just a fun record um so anyone who who was maybe slightly interested in checking out uh elvin bishop this is absolutely the record i would send you to is uh, live raising hell i think this is a great record that deserves a lot more attention i'd be curious to hear it because uh, i love fool around and fell in love but uh, i don't know anything else from him yeah and, the uh, version on here is great of course it's on here um yeah. because this came out i think he had one so the album that that was on uh strut my stuff i think came out in probably 76 and then there was another album home tom boy makes good and then this album came out so it was close to the the release he was still riding high on the success of that song which is probably how he could afford to take a nine piece plus horns band out on the road uh but um it's it's a great version but i don't think it's the best song on the record i uh it's there's there's other standards but it's clearly the crowd favorite on the record um but yeah it's just it's a honking band they play great they sound great mickey sounds great elvin is just a ball great guitar playing uh i love this record nice yeah that that'd be one i get the feeling it's going to be hard to find but if i see that one in the wild i think i'll snatch that up that cd yeah i would highly recommend it yep awesome so yeah, if you uh, if you can find a track to play off it, I would recommend playing that a, a snippet of Calling All Cows. Wait a minute. song with song titles like calling all cows <laughs> juke juke joint jump stealing watermelons I mean, come on how can you not love a band with songs like that i mean yeah that, that just sounds like fun that sounds like a blast it really is all right i'm gonna do my first one from the 70s which i can't believe it took me this long in the episode to do that <laughs> but uh neil young and crazy horse uh Ooh. live rust Be happy the rest of my life 
Neil Young is a recent kind of discovery of mine. I shouldn't say discovery. I've known some of his songs from hearing them on the radio before, but really diving in has been a recent thing for me. And I really, really like this record. Uh, it's from what I think is my favorite era, the later 70s era, where he was out on the road and he was very much influenced by punk at the time. He was doing two sets a night, one acoustic, and then one with Crazy Horse that was much more uh, distorted and loud and in your face and kind of punky in a way. Mm -hmm. And he put out two records in uh, 70, yeah, 70, I want to say 79, yeah, 79, uh, Rust Never Sleeps and this one right here. Rust Never Sleeps was kind of the new songs at the time. And this is those new songs plus the rest of the show built around it. And this is kind of the one I like to listen to because, man, you get that energy, uh, you get that folksy side of Neil at the start of the record with like Sugar Mountain and after the Gold Rush and some old uh, Buffalo Springfield stuff. And then later in the record, you've got, you know, jammy, loud, you know, crazy guitar distortion and solos on like Cortez the Killer and Cinnamon Girl and Like a Hurricane. So yeah, this record's just a lot of fun to listen to. I think I love Neil's kind of like primordial guitar playing. Like he plays, the, he plays and attacks the guitar the way I would imagine a caveman doing it. Like if you watch him play, like there's something very primal about it. I mean, rock and roll is very primal to begin with, but man, it's almost Cro-Magnon in a way. Like it's mm -hmm. something to behold. So yeah, I love how all that comes through on this album. And then it kind of ends on this weird, almost subdued note that's ha very haunting with the song Tonight's the Night. So yeah, love this yeah. record. What do you think? Yeah, it's a classic, and it's one of those records um, back in its day. Uh, I can remember that it was it was played on the radio a lot. It was a it was a big record for him, and uh, the concert uh, video that I remember that was pretty popular too. Yeah, I need to see see that. I've seen pictures, and it looks really interesting. Where he's got like all the big props, yeah, a and giant the, props, yeah. The 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 Jawas as his right. roadies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or road eyes as he called them because he couldn't <laughs> call them Jawas on the on the video, which is yeah. hilarious to me. Yeah. yeah, great stuff. I'm gonna go for my pick. I'm gonna go with uh, Sedan Delivery, which is like a really punky in your face song about delivering drugs and having bad teeth. It's a <laughs> It's a ridiculous little song. I love that one. Last night it was cool at the pool hall. Held the table for 11 games. Nothing was easier than the first seven. I beat a woman with varicose veins. She stopped to see herself in the mirror. Fix her hair. But she lost the game Next day I went to the dentist Pulled some teeth and I lost some blood You like to thank you for the cartoon sentence My wives and I were all choked up What's next? Well, uh, we you already touched on this band, but I'm going to go back to the live classic, the uh, Deep Purple Made in Japan. 
this is a seminal live album for me. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the uh, Kiss Alive was the first live album I bought, but it was also probably maybe the third or fourth album I bought. And so that set a real love for live records, and I started seeking them out. And this was probably the second live album that I got that, um, I mean, it was, I don't think it was the literal second live album I got, but it was after Kiss Alive, this was the one that, that just, uh, I couldn't stop playing and became such a huge fan till to this day. I'm a huge Deep Purple fan. I will admit I'm, I'm not the Kiss fan that I was back in 1976, 77, but I am the Deep Purple fan that I was back then. Uh, I, I, I just, I love this band. I, I, I love both Mach 2, Mach 3, and even the Tommy Bolin era I'm a huge fan of. But this record is just, again, you talk about taking the songs, and I think particularly with a band like Deep Purple, the songs really didn't reach their peak until they were brought into the live performance and played uh, multiple times. I think that the definitive versions of many, many of these songs are on this record. They're not the studio version. Highway Star, as great as it is on Machine Head, this is the definitive version, I think, this live version. Same thing with Child in Time. You know, In Rocks is a great record, but but this is the one I go back to. Um, all of the songs are extended. I think you've got over a two record set you had only seven songs stretch stretch over two album set so you know they're all long and they all give each member of the band a chance to to work out and i don't think any of them are boring i think all of this the tracks are great i mean the drum solo it's a 70s drum solo so you know not necessarily something i would listen to every time but ian, ian pace is an amazing drummer though but but yeah just all of these songs are so great um yeah, Highway Star, Child in Time, Strange Kind of Woman, huge fan of that record. And this is another one of those records that uh, that was kind of a throwaway. Yeah, the, it was in uh... the sense because it came out before, uh, b before Kiss Alive, before Frampton Comes Alive, when live records were still kind of viewed as filler, uh, and they had booked three gigs in Japan. It was their first Japanese tour, and. Uh, they sold out fast and the records were selling great. And so the record company said, well, why don't we just do a live record for the Japanese market? And the band went along with it, but they weren't particularly interested in it, but they wanted to make sure it was done right. So they had their engineer come out and, and do it. And um, they recorded all three shows. Most of this album made in Japan is taken from the second show in Osaka, Japan. But there are tracks from the first and third shows on here as well. There are no overdubs. So unlike oh, wow. some of the later records, there is no overdubs. They didn't fix anything. This is the band uh, as they sounded, and they are in peak form. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the record, you know, they, the, I don't think half the band even really listened to it at the time. I think a couple of the guys showed up when they were mixing it and because it was kind of an afterthought and, um, and they didn't plan on releasing it in the States, but that story, you know, uh, you look at like cheap trick at Budokan, right? It's kind of yeah. same kind of thing. Um, and as soon as the record was released in the U S uh, 
you know, it was, it was, I think, originally released in Japan in December 1972, but Made in Japan came out in America in April 73, so over a year later. But it was an instant smash. Um, so, you know, sometimes what do record companies or, or bands know? <laughs> I think if they had known that, they would have put it out here sooner. But it's just, a, just one of those things. But, man, it's, to me, it's the, that's the definitive Deep Purple record. If I was going to send anyone to buy their first Deep Purple record, I'd say go buy Made in Japan. Nice. Yeah, I had a feeling you'd pick that one. That was kind of also what pushed me to pick uh, Nobody's Perfect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I figured you'd pick that based on your... I mean, they were just... They were one of the greatest live bands ever. Uh, oh, yeah. It, I mean, amazing musicianship across, particularly uh, John, Richie, and Ian, uh, the, the core of the band, are just monster players, all three of them. Ian Gillen was an amazing singer. And Roger Glover, no slouch on bass. So you Not just had a, a band that really could just take the songs in amazing directions. And Richie is one of the fiercest, nastiest, meanest guitar players ever. And uh, and just really invented a whole sort of genre that then later became, you know, Ingwie Malmsteen on forward, um, that sort of classically influenced guitar shredding. But Richie is really the originator of that. Right, and I will say with Richie, I mean, nothing against Ingwie, he has his place in music and his fans that love him, but, I don't know Richie never bored me. Richie, like it's always interesting. Even when you're going, you're about to hit that twenty minute mark on the soul, the, the the song. It's still like it doesn't feel like wankery. It's you know for yeah. the sake of the music, which is really cool. Yeah, and and he he also had a sense of humor too. You know, he would throw in little licks of you know old uh william tell overture or whatever little bits and pieces of things like that that i don't think richie was necessarily a funny guy or necessarily even a fun guy to be yeah. around but yeah. but there's definitely a, a you know a sense of playfulness in his guitar playing as well as an intensity and a fierceness that i don't think is rivaled by anyone and a tone too like one of my favorite things oh my about God. richie is when you hear him play, you know, it's him just by the yep. sound of the guitar. Like it's mm -hmm. very, it's very specific. Like, and that would carry over when he went, went over to rainbow too. Oh yeah. That same tone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad you picked it. It's funny. I listened to that record for the first time this last week to get ready to do this. Um, I was kind of always felt intimidated by it because the songs are so long and until recently I've not become very, I, ha I wasn't very patient with like extended stuff before. But man, I put it on this week and I was blown away by that thing. It's so good. And I can't wait to, I have made it in Europe too, that I've never listened to. And I can't wait to give that. A I love that record too. Um, but uh, this, this record is, is above that. Um, but yeah, I mean, David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, two of my favorite singers of all time. So that, you know, they kick ass too. Uh, I, Deep Purple's was an, I think an unrivaled live band. Awesome. What, what's your, what's your pick for this one? Oh, well, I mean, you know, let's, uh, let's go with strange kind of woman.
Yes. Yeah, that's probably top three Deep Purple song for me. I love. Yeah, that song. and again, it's a very playful version on here with Richie and and Ian kind of trading off licks vocally and guitar wise. That's just fun. Nice. So next, we're going to go with one of my favorite vocalists ever, um, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne, and uh, tr- the Randy Rhodes tribute album. March 19th, 1987, but recorded, I think, probably in like 81, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, maybe 82. Uh, this is the album I remember, like, it got me right as I went into high school, hearing Ozzy's wild man energy on this record was just infectious. And Randy Rhodes had such a monster guitar so guitar tone on this album, it was, it really hooked me in. And the audience sounds just as rapid as you can imagine they were back then. It's one of those ones you feel the intensity in the room when you close your eyes and you can almost, you feel like you're vibrating when you listen to this album. It's really, it's really magical. Um, I love the extended solos on this one, even when I wasn't really into that stuff, like Tommy Aldridge on the drums on this one, when he plays the drum solo in uh, Steal Away the Night. It's so, it's so cool the way he just takes it out and like kind of, I think he's playing with his hands even at one point, which is really cool. And then Randy Rhodes does a great guitar solo on Suicide Solution that's like kind of extended and Ozzy doing his kind of like wild man cheerleader thing he does on stage. It's just so, so cool. Like, I can't hear you louder. Like it's, I love that stuff. It's so great. Uh, yeah. Revelation, mother earth believer. Um, yeah. Ozzy's voice is like, as a singer, like he's just one of my favorite vocalists and he, he's no slouch on this record. It's fantastic. You know this one? I do. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, pretty sure I was a senior in high school when Randy was killed and what a tragedy that that was um he's one of those guitar players you just kind of would have loved to have seen where where he would have gone yeah um but uh yeah those those two albums with Randy were were huge um at that time in in uh in middle american high school uh kids all across the country were were buying those those two Aussie records and Dig and Randy in a big way. So it's a big loss. Absolutely. Yeah. I, like you too. I wonder what would have happened too. like, I sometimes wonder if he, because we all hear stuff, but like it seemed from what I, what I've read, he was kind of looking to maybe get out of doing rock and roll and do some classical stuff. So it'd be cool to see where, where he would have gone or if he would have ever come back to rock and roll. So. Yeah, I probably would have, but I, there were stories. Um, and I believe that they were true that it, as while he was on tour, he would find like a local guitar teacher 
and go and get a lesson. And probably nine times out of 10, he was better than the, than the person he was getting the lesson from. But he was just so eager to learn something new and to progress as a player. Uh, and, you know, and, um, you know, despite, you know, all the flash and, and all of that that would, that would come with shredders beforehand, he was really dedicated to his instrument. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think we would have seen some, some real interesting stuff uh, from Randy. Uh, it's just a shame. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go with my pick is going to be Believer because um, that's another case of where I think the tone of his guitar on the live version kind of trumps the studio version. It's just so, so big. Like I would have loved to have seen him back in the day. It's just incredible. Uh, next up was another record that was hugely influential for me uh, was uh, Grand Funk Railroad's Caught in the Act. August, released August 1975. This was actually their second live album. Uh, and I think it's head and shoulders better than the first one. There are probably some hardcore Grand Funk fans who would argue with me on that. 
But by the time this record came around, they were a four-piece. They had added a keyboard player, Craig Frost, to the original lineup of Mark Don and Mel. Uh, they had had their biggest hits at this point. Uh, we're an American Band was out. Um, this, I think, was released two albums after that. Um, but it's just... It's just a great rock and roll record. It's another fun record to listen to. There's just some great uh, blues, rocky, R&B uh, influence numbers on here. Foot stomping music, rock and roll soul. Uh, great. There's a song called Black Licorice, which is one of the heavier things they ever did. Of course, the version of We're an American Being On Here is great. Um, it It is a, a 1970s double album live record so of course it has the obligatory drum solo your mileage may vary on that kind of thing but um but barring that uh i just think it's a it, it's a great record these guys were as musicians they were pretty rough and ready early on that first live record um has one of the cheesiest extended guitar solos i've i've ever heard um <laughs> certainly when you could <laughs> doesn't hold a candle to anything richie blackmore ever did but by the time this record came out they were a tighter outfit um the i think the material got better uh, some of their best material i think is on this record but it's just it's uh, it's a i think it's a really fun record and uh it's another record i just used to listen to over and over and over again and it's a, kind of a seminal record for me so if somebody wants to give grand funk a a, a taste of grand funk beyond uh the locomotion and we're an american band check out the live album caught in the act i think it's a great one nice yeah that's one of those records like that's that i'd like to hear uh i i have a grand funk hits collection and i i love what i've heard i think i'm your captain is a fantastic song i love that one uh, yeah, they're a band I'd like to get more into, so I'm glad you picked that one. I, that might be, yeah. I'm going to Amoeba Records on Saturday before I go see Todd, Todd Rundgren, so might be something cool. I look for while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, check it out. And if you want to spin a track from it, I would say um, give a spin of Rock and Roll Soul. Check that yes. out.
next, I'm going to go with one of my favorite uh, lyricists, uh, one of my favorite songwriters, um, released December 26, 1980, uh, Warren Zevon, Stand in the Fire. songwriter is incredible and he was early on he was a really animated really kind of crazy live performer like later in his career he kind of played more acoustic he didn't play with a band as much and i think that was kind of maybe because he didn't have the budget to and uh, his kind of his success had kind of dwindled at that point unfortunately but man here he was newly sober and uh kind of fresh off the success of werewolves in, Lo in london and he just he sounds like he's on fire here. Like Stand on the Fire is a great title for the album. And uh, he does these little like vocalizations that just add so much to the songs. Like, you know, on Werewolves of London, like he changes the lyric. He goes, and he's looking for James Taylor. <laughs> like just little things like that. Just make the, make it so much more fun. And then he does a cover of uh, Bo Diddley's A Gunslinger at the end of the original album and just adds so much intensity to it. It's really cool. Like you can, I can imagine him running around the stage as he's playing it. It's so so great and uh poor poor pitiful me uh which he was covered by linda ronstadt he does a yep. great version of that here uh he brings his road manager out at the end of it and he tells the audience to get up and dance or he'll kill them and he's got the means like i love stuff like that it's just so so funny uh yeah i, I can't say enough good things about this one i love the extended version of this album which has some bonus tracks um the full concert came out this year but it's a vinyl only release so as a cd buyer i'm holding out hope that mm. One day we'll see a double CD release of this thing, but for now, this is one of my favorite live records. I absolutely adore it. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's great. It, I, again, it's a great place I think to begin if you want to explore Warren Zevon. I I'm no Warren Zevon aficionado, but uh, it's uh, it, it's great performances. He's in fine form on that record, and uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a good uh, taster of his. Of his stuff it's interesting that uh and you see it a lot of in a lot of the records that we've we've talked about where a band would break through they would have their breakthrough hit and then the record company would would say okay now it's time for your live album it's like wait till you have a hit and then it was a way to capitalize on that probably because they re could they could resell the same songs right right <laughs> most of these records we've talked about the you know the hit was on the album before the two albums before that and of course that song is on the live album again uh so it was just another way to rope people in to buy that record um but it's it it it's sort of in lieu of a greatest hits record the live records other than i'm always you know we talked about it at the beginning of the this this episode but 
I'm always going to say in lieu of a live record, you know, skip that Buy, I mean, in lieu of the greatest hits record, skip that and buy the live album. Absolutely. Yeah. And it kind of, this was the second record he released in 1980. He put out an album earlier in the year called bad luck streak at dancing school that did yep. not do quite as well as excitable boy, which had werewolves of London did. So this is his second release that year. And it's probably the label going, Oh, Oh crap. Maybe, maybe this will work. Maybe this will do better. And then, yeah, it, unfortunately, it was all downhill from here, which is kind of sad because I feel like he's a really underrated writer, really mm-hmm. underrated artist and uh, gone too soon, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great live record. I'm going to pick uh, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. I love that the version on there. Well, my next pick um, might be a little controversial for some people, uh, but this album I actually uh, talked about on my podcast with John Lamoro from The Hustle. We we do a, a series of uh, of kind of a show within a show on on my podcast called The Albums That Made Us, when we talk about important records in our, our career. And I have a guest like yourself come on, and we talk about a record that really meant something to us. And on the show with John, I, I had picked this record, which is David Live. It's David Bowie, Live at the Tower of Philadelphia. Um, 
not a particularly popular live record from his. He did a couple of live records in the 70s, and, and in general, they're not really looked upon that fondly, but I love this record. And this is another example of songs being reinvented for the live context. And uh, sort of the history of, of this record is he had done the Diamond Dogs album and put together this huge stage production to go out and tour that album. And um, somewhere towards the middle of the tour, he kind of lost interest in that and, and started listening to a lot of Philadelphia soul and kind of paused the tour and kind of picked it back up with a revamped version of it that sort of started to inject some of that soul in, into the music that would then later become the follow-on album, which was Young Americans which is his Plastic Soul album, if you will. Um, but this record sits in an interesting point between the transition of, you know, Ziggy and the Diamond Dogs era Bowie into the Young American, uh, Thin White Duke type era. But all of these songs have an interesting spin to them that differentiate, differentiates them from the studio versions. I'm not going to say they're better than the studio versions, but they're different. And this was really a um, kind of a key record for me as a as a listener, discovering that when you know when a song is recorded in a in the studio and and pressed on vinyl, that's not the end. And when you play it live, you can really take it in in different directions. You can reinvent your own material, and of course, Bowie was the master of reinvention. But this is kind of the record that really showed it to me. I mean, you know, there's some cases like Kiss Alive where I just think the songs are better on on Kiss Alive than they are on the studio albums. They're not drastically different. They're still the same chords, still the same rhythm, still the same approach. I just think they're played better or or whatever. But on this record, they're, it's not just that they're played better. They're different. The arrangements are different. There's different instrumentation. There's elements of some of the songs almost have a Middle Eastern feel or elements injected into them. Um, it's it, it really takes the songs into a new, different place. And that was like a revelation to me as an early music fan of like, wow, you know, it, what, just because a song is on vinyl doesn't mean it's sealed in amber. It can grow and change and evolve over the, the career of the artist. The artist can own that material and take it take it in different places. And so I'm a big fan of this album just for that. And there's some great playing on here. David Sanborn, I think one of the great saxophone players is all over this record. Earl Slick, the guitar player, has some killer guitar tone on here. Uh, his sound on, particularly on um, uh, Suffragette City, just is an nice. amazing guitar tone. Uh, but 1984, Rebel Rebel, Sweet Thing, Cracked Act, they're just all great versions of those songs on this on this record. So, I'd say if you're a Bowie fan and haven't listened to this record, give it another give it another shot. And if you haven't heard it before, it's worth a spin. Absolutely, that's one I need to spend some more time with. I've heard it a few times, but there I've I'm honestly more familiar with the other two live records from that era that have come out since then. The uh, mm -hmm. the cracked actor uh, yep. in L.A. show. Yep. I've listened to that a lot when it came out, and. Uh, I think last year we got uh, I'm Only Dancing, which mm -hmm. is like even later in the tour when it's really like like a soul show. Like I think he does like 
if, if I could shimmy like my sister Kate on the on that live record, it's uh-huh. it's some um, it's really special. But yeah, I love that record just because of how out there it is and how the risks he takes with the live with the with the version of those songs. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right. He's 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 taking them and and reinventing them, and uh, and it's a killer band. Uh, you know, he was heading straight forward into his his years of peak drug abuse. Oh yeah, his voice his voice may not be at his peak. And if you watch the footage, um, there was some uh, like a documentary. I think it's called Cracked Actor that that you yep. can find out there. <laughs> And David is a piece of work in that. Um, oh yeah, but but it's uh, but I just think this record is great, and uh, so you know, all the haters, yeah. think what they think, but I love this record. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of David Live at the Tower of Philadelphia. Uh, if you're going to spin a track, I would say well, let's uh, give give Rebel Rebel the version of Rebel 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 on here a spin. most i don't know i think it was kind of weird to read because i was reading about the reception of the album at the time online i remember and i think mick jagger said quote if he got the kind of reviews david got for that album he would have quit making music which i'm like that's just harsh man come on yeah yeah (coughs) no it was not a it was not a popular record and his other live record at the time stage yep there's another one that i like quite a bit uh that that wasn't particularly popular but I, I just think those two records are great. So yep. what do I know? Yeah, most of the David Bowie live albums are pretty fantastic. And especially I love, you know, unfortunately since this past, we've got all this great live material since then. Yeah. Like we got Welcome to the Blackout, which is another yep. fantastic live record. And uh, yep. there's one from the, uh, I can't remember the name of the one on the Station to Station tour, but I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I forget too. I'm, I've, I've tried to pick up most of those. Um, just because of, and the bands were so great too. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the musicians he had backing him were just fantastic. Uh, so that it's a worth listening to it just to hear some of those guitar players and and uh, the bass and drummers and keyboard players and all of that. So they were all great. Absolutely, yep. David Bowie, a true. Uh, not only like not only is Todd Rundgren a wizard, a true star. David Bowie is too. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Yep. All right. I'm going to go with another piano man up next. Uh, this was a, 
This was my uh, introduction to Billy Joel with Songs in the Attic. Maybe all the lights turned on you Now you're in the center of the stage Everything revolves on what you do record i know because most people would go for like the stranger or something like that but uh this was him attempting to introduce his newer fans he kind of gained from three more successful albums glass houses 52nd street with a stranger trying to introduce them to his material before that and uh it worked in a way he got two hits out of this album he got say goodbye to hollywood and she's got away we're both top 40 hits from this record and uh i love the energy is touring brand his band his touring band brings these songs because uh this is the band he would record with uh, after The Stranger going going forward. And to hear him kind of bring a bit more life to these songs that were kind of done with, you know, people that were studio musicians at the time. Uh, it's really cool to hear, like, you know, a song like Miami 2017 just sounds so much bigger on here. Like after hearing it on here, when I heard the album version, I was kind of like, it sounds so small, but like maybe it's just because, you know, on here it's at the Madison Square Garden. It's opening a big show. That was probably a sellout at the time because Billy Joel was like the hugest, you know, one of the hugest pop artists in the world. Uh, it just sounds so big and Summer Highland Falls sounds so big and Captain Jack and Billy the Kid is like a Western movie in your head. And yeah, this record, so cool to me. I, lo I love this one. And I love that Billy at the time was like, I want to get these songs out there. I want to get them heard. So let's do a live record. I think that was such a cool thing to do to kind of bring bring new light to them. You familiar with this record? Uh, not really, because honestly, I'm not really a Billy Joel fan. Mm. Uh, he just... Uh... I don't know why uh, necessarily, I, but it just never really worked for me. So there you go. That's fair. That's fair. I get that. I mean, yeah, Billy, I don't know. I've always had a soft spot for like Billy Joel. So I'm going to, my pick's going to be Captain Jack. Village in your tie-dye jeans, a 
And you stare at the junkies And the closet queens It's like some pornographic magazine And you smile piece for him to play on yeah that's my pick and i love in the booklet he wrote about that verse and he said when he was playing it live he could feel when he pounded the piano he felt a few piano strings break he was playing it so hard <laughs> so very cool what you got next well this is the only uh record i chose that's not from the 70s um oh, wow. but uh and this may seem like a curveball but uh, a record by robin hitchcock and the egyptians called gotta let this hen out familiar people are with Robin Hitchcock, but to me, he, he is the definitive uh, English eccentric. Uh, his songs are lyrically, they're nuts, um, brilliant, but just so eccentric. And uh, I love his voice. Uh, he has a great ear for melody. His songs, I think, are super catchy, but they're, they're, they can just be weird, but they're fun. Um, I mean, there's songs on here titled, um, sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl. <laughs> um, my wife and my dead wife, Brenda's <laughs> iron sledge, Lepo and the Jews. <laughs> I mean, they're just, I'm just from the titles alone. They're, <laughs> they're, they're wacky. Um, but they're great songs and his studio records are great, but the band he had at this point, um, they were great too, a killer bass player and uh, in particular and it's just a high energy kind of you know post-punk i wouldn't say it's new wave but it's not punk but it's it's just a very high energy you know lot kind of recorded in a in a decent sized club so it's you know it's not a it's not a madison square garden album i don't think 
he could ever come close to filling the Madison Square Garden. Uh, but it is just, I think, a brilliant songwriter in a great live setting with a great set of material and a great band backing him up. And I think it's, uh, again, it's a great uh, place to start if you've never explored uh, Robin Hitchcock. Um, this is a fun record, interesting, challenging, uh, and damn catchy uh, and, and worth a listen. Robin Hitchcock, got to let this hen out. Check it out. For sure. Yeah, I've never heard of this guy, but he sounds interesting. Like that, like just the song titles alone make me want to spend time with that album. That sounds really cool. Yeah, he was in kind of a seminal UK, uh, I don't know, punk maybe type band <laughs> uh, called the Soft Boys. Uh, okay, I, th I think I've heard that name somewhere. Yeah, with, with uh, a guy named Kimberly Rue was in that band, and he would later go on and start Katrina and the Waves and make a bajillion dollars with Walking <laughs> on Sunshine. Uh, but Robin was kind of the the star of that band uh, and um, and went on to a solo career and is still still making records today. He tends to be more of literally a solo artist, just him and his acoustic guitar and kind of thing. But but I love him with a band and the records that he made with the Egyptians are all great and um, just a really interesting lyricist um and and just you know like is it a quintessential british eccentric gotta love nice. robin hitchcock check check him out uh what should i play from the album uh i would uh let's go with uh my wife and my dead wife okay <laughs> i'm looking forward to pulling that up i can't wait to hear it my wife lies down on a chair and stares into air i know she's there Coffee for two But I come back in with coffee for three Coffee for three My dead wife sits in a chair Peeling a pear I know she's there She wanders off to the bed Shaking her head Robin, she says You know I'm going to go with uh, this man was very much the soundtrack of my college years. He kind of opened up my head to music could be more than just pop and melody. It could be kind of odd and angular and out there. And that man is Tom Waits, uh, Glitter and Doom. Strangers 
November 23rd, 2009. I think this is his best live album. He did one in the 80s. That's kind of, uh, it sounds a little rough, but uh, I, li- I like this one a lot. Uh, this was the first time I heard it. My roommate uh, was a big fan. He put this on and the record opens with Tom making the sound that scared me at the time. Like it startled me. Like I was just chilling. I, I heard this live record starting here. Like, <laughs> like just, that was the opening of the song. I was like, oh my, what's going on here? And he goes, oh, it's Tom Waits. And I was, completely hooked in i was like like this monster demon thing is singing to me and it's so weird but i was hooked in and i had to i immediately was like i have to hear more of this and uh i grew to love like his his lyricism his love of percussion like he loves to just bang on stuff just to get like a weird a weird sound every now and then which is really interesting to me and this record kind of has that he takes songs and rearranges them and uh adds extra pieces like the song such a scream which on the album bone machine is very stripped back on here it's like this jazzy piece from hell with a really extended saxophone solo it's crazy and then get behind the mule he adds beatbox to on here it's so crazy and then other times he's just at the piano like a like a piano guy entertaining you know like yeah like a lounge singer kind of type thing go go going on telling jokes and stuff it's like the extremes on here are really cool to me and then there's like a straight blues tune like make it rain but it's such a such an intriguing record and it pulls you in um yeah I, I love tom ways i can't say good, enough good things about him but yeah this record is one of my favorite live releases it's just so fun you tom ways I, I am not familiar with that album so you've given me something to uh to check out um i again i'm not a tom waits aficionado i i know a decent amount of his stuff but certainly not all of it but no i'm not familiar with that record so now i've got a project to uh to explore nice yeah definitely worth checking out and it uh, comes with a disc of they take uh, some of his best stories he would tell on stage from throughout the tour and put them on a, one disc and call it Tom's Tales. So that's kind of a fun listen if you want to hear him like talk about things on stage like buzzards or uh, like weird, strange laws it, that are sold in the books in certain states. Like the, just his offbeat humor he does. That's a great listen to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with my pick is uh, I'm going to go with Lucky Day. That's uh, going to be my pick from here. Yeah. Hello. In a little Spanish town, and I left it for Bonilla's, and I told him I'd see her around, but that Bonilla's and her heart of glass could not hold a candle. So don't cry for me There's 
pick is a record that i uh i think is only uh become more popular and more respected over time and that is thin lizzy live and dangerous This was a record that uh, back in the 70s was a Christmas gift to me by a friend. So it wasn't a record that I went out and bought myself. And so I don't think I paid enough attention to it at first. It, it, it grew. I later became a big uh, Thin Lizzy fan in the early 80s. But, um, but it, this one, I guess... I'm not really sure why. I mean, I remember listening to it and thinking it was good, but it didn't didn't stick initially. But as I became uh, more and more interested in Thin Lizzy, more of a fan, this record has only grown over over time, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite live records. Obviously, it makes an appearance here. Um, again, it's another one of those records that would have been some controversy over how live it actually is. The producer says it's not very live. The band says, no, it is very live. Regardless, uh, it's great. Uh, I, I think a lot of these songs are better here than they are on the studio versions. Um, the, the guitar players are at their prime. Scott Gorham, Brian Robertson, amazing uh, pair. It's... it's uh, you know, chocolate and peanut butter together are somehow more magical than separate kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Um, you know, when the two of them play together, uh, they brought brought something that uh, I don't think either of them ever uh, quite achieved separately. Um, I like the later Thin Lizzy records, but the ones with this lineup, yeah, I think are are the best. And I love Gary Moore, and I think Black Rose is a great record, but I still go back to uh, the records with Brian Robertson on them. I think they're great. And this, 
this record is just so many great moments on this. A lot of great guitar playing. And Phil was just such a great, uh, charismatic rock star. And um, it's, uh, again, it just really captures a great live performance. Whether how live it actually may be, I don't, I don't care because it feels live. It, it, uh, it, it, it's just a visceral experience, I think, listening to this record. And uh, so many great songs on here. Um, I'm particularly fond of the track Rosalie, which I did a, a whole nice. episode of my show on that track. Well, we're going to try and get you moving on this one. It's a number recorded by Bob Seger. Number called Rosalie. <laughs> Still in love with you. Uh, this is the definitive version of that song. I think just amazing solo by Brian Robertson. Scott Gorham smokes on it too, but Brian Robertson particularly is great. And uh, the medley of Cowboy Song and Boys Are Back in Town is iconic. I think um, just great. But uh, hard pressed to find a bad track on this record. And it's tight. They're they're not um, nothing on this record is is overblown with you know extended uh guitar solos or too long drum solos or anything like that it's pretty tight and concise and it's just a kick-ass band playing well great material all sounding great gotta love thin lizzy live and dangerous totally yeah that record that record is fantastic uh it's not it's something like you it's funny i haven't spent enough time with it myself but uh i do like that album i like thin lizzy quite a bit they're a band i need to get into more like i've always kind of been on the cusp like i know uh I know the jailbreak album really well. My dad, ha my dad has that cassette and I listened to that a lot as a kid. And, uh, I know, I know that live record and I've heard it a few times, but I need to listen to it more because, uh, every time I listen to it, I'm blown away. Uh, my favorite on there is suicide. I think there's a great version of that song. Mm, on there. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Great record. And then they did another live record, not long, uh, some years later called life, which, uh, didn't all the guitarists come together at one point on that live record? Yeah, that was their farewell uh, gig or tour or whatever when yeah. Phil decided to to pack Thin Lizzy in for good. And so they did that show and they invited basically anyone who would ever played guitar with Thin Lizzy came up and, and did a number with them. So um, it's it's interesting for that. I, I still think this is a better record. Then they they released an album. I don't know. Maybe it was ten years ago. Um, 
I think still it's dangerous. called Still Dangerous, which was kind of their answer to uh, Tony Visconti, the producer of this record, who said like, oh, 75% of this record was redone in the studio. And, um, and so they dug out some other tapes of other live gigs from that tour and released that album as a way of saying, listen, motherfucker, we, we could play and we were great. And this album has no overdubs or doctors doctored up stuff on it. So in your face, Tony Visconti. And, uh, that's a good record too. Uh, but, but still, I just love live and dangerous. Great, great record. Right. Yes. Right. We'll, we'll try, we'll try, try and breeze through these last three. Um, uh, Johnny Cash, False of Prison. Well, they're building a gallows outside my cell And I've got 25 minutes to go And the whole town's waiting just to hear me yell I got 24 minutes to go Well, they gave me some beans for my last meal But 23 minutes to go Nobody asked me how I feel I got 22 minutes to go Well, I sent for the governor and the whole darn bunch With 21 minutes to go And I called up the mayor, but he's out to lunch I got 20 more minutes to go Then the sheriff said, boy, I'm gonna watch you die May 6, 1968 mm -hmm. Uh, this is one I'm still new to, too, but I've been enjoying it so much lately, I wanted to include it. Uh, uh, the song selection is so appropriate. Like, he went to, he went to play a, a show for prisoners, and he plays all these songs about committing crimes and doing drugs and, you know, all the, all the seedier side of life. That, that's all in here, songs about being in prison. And uh, I think it was interesting because, like, I think the people at the prison were told them to kind of, you know, play songs, you know, that might lift their spirits and make them forget in prison. <laughs> They're in prison, but, you know, they're not going to forget that. So uh, he kind of kept things, you know, on subject. And I love, you can tell the audience is really hungry for music. They're really appreciative that he's there playing these songs. And uh, he cracks jokes at times. He's very personable and even laughs at the absurdity of some of, you know, what he's doing at the time, like during uh, the song Long Black Veil, when he gets to the part where he admits, you know, he like the character admits that they were cheating on their wife, the audience cheers and he, he starts laughing. He goes, I can't believe somebody applauded that. <laughs> like, just like little things like that. Or when he's doing uh, 25 minutes to go, which were a, a guy counting down his time to, to go to the gala. Gala yeah. was like, he's like having trouble keep holding it together because of the absurdity of the song at points. It's just so wonderfully human. And this live record's interesting to me too, because you can kind of tell it's a case study in, how much better live records would kind of end up sounding, you know, in the seventies. Like it's a very, you know, you can very much get the vibe that this was kind of taped off the air in a way um, because, you know, this was still a new, th like a new thing that recording live records, it wasn't, you know, that common. So yeah, this is a really unique live record. I really enjoy it. I've, I've been enjoying listening to this one lately. Uh, are you a fan of this one? I am. And it was one that, um, that uh, bubbled under my list of 10 to talk about had we chosen 15 it, pro it may have been on there um but it's yeah yeah i and it's one of those records where i would say if you were interested in exploring johnny cash it's a great place to start um because because he sounds great 
uh, it, the environment is perfect, like you said, for those kind of songs. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, it's just, it's an, you know, it's an interesting thing, right? Playing for these prisoners who, who are in some cases, you know, when they're cheering, they're as much giving the finger to the man, right? As right. they are cheering Johnny Cash, you know? And I, and you get the feeling that, um, that these guys see Johnny as like one of them. Right. You know? Yeah. They see him as an extension of themselves, which, yeah. uh, he, he's really not in a way. He's just, he's just a guy that, I don't know. He was very down to earth. And I think that's why yeah. he was so relatable. Like, to, mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people like him, why he's like, you know, I think there's a lot of people that say, I don't like country music, but I like Johnny Cash. And I think that's yeah. why. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of one of them. I'm very picky about the country music that I like, but I mean, it's hard not to love Johnny because it it's, I mean, the word authenticity being authentic, it's, Boy, that's a loaded word in in music, but it's hard to find somebody who is more authentic than Johnny Cash. You know, at the same time, the guy put out some really lousy records, um, <laughs> but he yeah. put out some great stuff. You know, see the eighties. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of those late sixties, seventies records are are not great, <laughs> um, but uh, but there's there's some Johnny Cash stuff that's just definitive. And how can, you know, I don't see how anyone can not love that stuff. I'm going to go with my pick is Cocaine Blues. Early one morning while making the rounds, I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down. I went right home and I went to bed. I stuck at love and 44 beneath my head. Got up next morning and I grabbed that gun Took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run, but I run too slow They overtook me down in Juarez, Mexico Laid in the hot joints, taking the pills And walked the sheriff from Jericho Hill He said, Willie Lee, your name is not Jack Brown Here's the dirty hack that shot your woman down Yes, so yes, my name is Willie Lee If you've got a warrant just to read it to me Shut her down because she made me slow I thought I was her daddy, but she had five more My next pick is a somewhat obscure album, I guess, by Santana It's called Lotus
and it was a triple record set that was only released in Japan. Uh, it came out in Japan in 1974. It it never came out in America until 1991. I mean, you could get it as an import, but it was very pricey, and you didn't see it around very much. Um, but it, up until 1991, it was only a, an import available in Japan, and I think Europe too, probably. Um, but it is, it's Carlos at his most guitar-y and his most adventuresome when he was really inspired by Miles Davis and the Mahavishnu Orchestra, John McLaughlin, um, and uh, uh, I still like Carlos, but a lot of his records in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years even maybe are they're fairly commercial and and he's you know you you don't get the sense that he's really at least on the studio records that he's very adventurous in his guitar playing he's he's got his thing and it, it sounds like carlos and i i i've i've known people who've seen him i've never actually seen him live but i know friends who've seen him and said that he live he's he's just amazing he's he's really takes the songs just become so much more alive than on the studio records um when when he plays them even today but but at this point back in 1974 he was at his most exploratory so this record is about as jazzy as he ever got but it still has you know i don't want to turn people off with that <laughs> uh you know it's it's very much a, a rock and roll guitar players album uh, but you know, it has, it is all that really just that exciting Latin energy to it, but it's, it's pushing the boundaries. There, there is some jazz stuff in there. There's, there's you know, some stuff he plays around with an echoplex and just makes noise, you know, something that you would never hear from Carlos today on a record. Um, it's, it's when I want to hear Carlos really cut loose on a guitar and really show what he can do. That's the record I go to Santana Lotus, fantastic yes. guitar album. That's that's on my to get list. Yeah, I, I've, check it I've out. Been... Yeah, yeah. If anyone interested in just, uh, and a lot of it is instrumental. There's not a ton of vocal stuff on here. It's just Carlos and a great band just going for it, playing his ass off. And I'll be seeing him next year with uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I can't wait for that show. Cool, a lot of fun. cool. Yeah, well, you got to pick for this one. Well, that's a tough one. Let's go with. Uh, let's go with. Um, there's a song in here called Shibaba. I guess we'll go with that.
my next pick, uh, one of my all-time favorite vocalists is Rob Halford, and I could not not pick uh, Judas Priest, Unleashed in the East, live in Japan. record is it's monstrous it's one of the best metal records ever made i love i love the performances on here the band just sounds so full of energy and uh gives a little extra punch to the songs again uh this this record kind of helped break them america it went gold uh didn't really have a hit but it went gold so this is kind of what helped break them here and it's another record where people debate like how live is it and it has come out that uh when they did the shows in japan Rob was sick, so he redid all the vocals, but the band is live. So it's a very live record, and in a way, it still feels live with the studio vocals because they're not like double tracked or anything. Like, there's no like Rob Halford and then Rob Halford singing backing vocals or doubled. It's very much like he sang along with a live performance. So I think that helps keep it authentic. This is a, yeah, this is just an absolutely like, fiery fast heavy metal album where he's like hitting he's at the top of his range on songs like exciter and sinner and the ripper uh there's a great fleetwood mac cover of green man Alishi on here i yeah. love that so so cool uh and the guitar playing of glenn and kk is like they're an amazing guitar team uh i love hearing them play together like they kind of started my love of like twin guitars in a band I think they're just great. Like check out like the beginning of Victim of Changes where they're both playing together is so cool. Uh, you know this one, Brad? I do. Yeah. Um, it's I'm I'm not really much of a fan of '80s metal, but but this stuff, this I you know, I just I love this stuff. The new new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, a lot of that stuff I love, and this I think you know Priest is one of the probably the premier. I think. Uh, new wave of british heavy metal bands and this i think is one of their standout records it's it's great it's to me it's everything you everything you love about priest is on this record i mean you know they have other great records but man it's just great and yeah that version of uh of green man alishi is fantastic yeah it was so good uh for years like um i i, I tried starting i would start to listen to the fleetwood mac version and i'd go eh, too slow and turn it off and then you did your episode on it and kind of forced me to hear the whole thing. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's actually a really great version of the song, the original. So, yeah, your podcast actually kind of helped me like appreciate the original version of that. Well, thank you, sir. That's the point of the show. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I try to do. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm gonna go. I might. I'm gonna go with Green Man Alicia as my pick since it's just a cool performance of the song.
It is. And, um, you know, I Ooh. talked about, um, you know, Kiss Alive was my first pick because that was so, uh, such a big record for me, but probably my favorite live record of all time. And it's hard to choose, but if I had to choose one, it would be this, uh, Wings Over America, Paul McCartney and Wings, Wings Over America. triple record set as far as i'm concerned every song on here is great i wouldn't i wouldn't drop one of them um it's it takes you on a journey through the history of wings and through plenty of beatles songs are on here too is really the first time since he left the beatles that he actually went back and played beatles songs again on this record um, and of course the audience goes nuts whenever he plays a Beatles song, but all the wing stuff on here is great too. And it was a great band. Jimmy McCulloch is one of my favorite underrated guitar players. Um, sad end to that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, he was real young and an amazing player and a victim of drugs, like so many artists that we love. Uh, but he shines on this record. McCartney is in great voice. Uh, I think often singers really reach their peak when they're like in their 30s. And as great as McCartney was in the Beatle years, I think just purely as a singer, I think he's 
at his peak right around this period, right around 76, 77, I think uh, 78, I think he was singing amazing. Um, the version, and you mentioned it earlier, the version of Maybe I'm Amazed, this is the definitive version. It is one of my all-time favorite vocal performances by any human being that has ever lived is McCartney's vocals on Maybe I'm Amazed on this album. And Jimmy McCulloch takes the guitar solo, plays it note for note that McCartney played on the original McCartney album, but it's a million times better when it comes from Jimmy McCulloch's fingers. And I just think that track is unbeatable. But there's so much great stuff on this record. It opens with one of my all-time favorite live opening numbers, Venus and Mars, into Rock Show, into Jet, just a triple punch. It's awesome. Um, the version of Long and Winding Road on here, I think, is better than the version on Let It Be. Um, the, uh, you know, ditch the string, the sappy string arrangement, and then he's got the horn players doing a great arrangement on here, and he's in fine vocal form. I think it's great. Um, but it is just a fantastic record front to back. Uh, if I had a time machine, the very first thing I would do would be to go back to 1976 <laughs> and see Wings on this tour. And then the second thing is maybe I'd kill Hitler. But the first thing, <laughs> first stop I would make <laughs> would be to see McCartney and Wings in 76 because I think <laughs> that was a, would be a life-changing experience for me as a fan. Yeah, that, that album, that's a 70s rock central for, the, for sure right there. That yeah. live record is incredibly important yeah. yeah i can't add much more to what you said but yeah that was fantastic what's your pick uh let's go with um with rock show the version of rock show on here nice. uh, it's it's appropriate from multiple shows i think they recorded almost every show on the tour and the some poor sap had to listen to like 800 hours <laughs> worth of <laughs> of concert footage to pick out the best material but great 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 record nice well i'm gonna bring it all home with uh this live record 
changed my life. Like I wanted to be a vocalist and this live record after I heard it, it informed the way I sing, it informed the way I dressed for a long time. Uh, it was super influential to me. And that record is uh, Green Day's Bullet in a Bible. recorded on their uh, American Idiot Tour. This was the first band, you know, I've, I've often said, I grew up listening to my dad's classic rock music, but this was uh, where I first stepped out of that. Uh, American Idiot was such a big record at the time that it even kind of dipped into my world and I started hearing about it. And uh, there was, and it, they, it seemed like something I could do, like, I could like, like, oh, like this little, like this, like punchy three chord rock and rock and roll. Like the, I could sing in the same key that Billy Joel could sing very, very easily. And then I got this as a Christmas gift. Uh, my mom bought this on accident instead of buying the American Idiot. She got me the live record that had just come out that came with the DVD. And uh, man, watch, listening to this record and watching the show, like hearing the bombs go off and the crowd interaction and uh, the energy that comes off the scene <coughs> when you listen to listen to it, uh, it's, it all just kind of warped me. And I went, I want to do that. Like, I, I want to front a band, I want to sing. Like I already like singing, but man, I like, I started like to develop like the same affectation he sang in. Like people would tell me I sang like him because I, I used to do the same affectation he did. I started spiking my hair and wearing skinny jeans. Like this album very much like it as a young sixth grader turned me into like a little mini punk rocker, but it was like the only, the only punk rock album I, I like had in my collection. Everything else was like sticks and the cars and uh, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this record was super, super important to me. A uh, little out there for this episode, I know, but man, I couldn't not pick it. I could not talk about it. So uh, yeah. Uh, you have any thoughts on this one? Green Day fan, Brad? Uh, well, you know, Green Day, I was originally not, a big, big fan early on. That affectation bugged me in in his vocals, sort of the fake British accent. Yeah, I really, you know, that kind of turned me off. Um, but what I loved about them was that they were a band that grew, right? Mm -hmm. And then by the time you got to uh, an Amer American Idiot, you've got a band that's really, you know, I mean, when was the last time a band did like a concept album? That that was they brought that back in a lot of ways, you know, to the commercial or to the the wider public, you know, and they sold a bajillion copies of it. Um, so you know, to to watch a band grow and and become kind of a classic band themselves, it doesn't. There's not a lot of that 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 happens, you know. I mean, it happened to U two. They became, uh, you know, one of the last great rock and roll bands you know with a with a huge career that that spoke to a large audience i mean there's all bands out there that, that we love but in terms of you know just really speaking to massive massive audiences around the world and and kind of you know green day was the band from the i don't know what the 2000s or whatever that 
that did that. Um, and it's hard to, hard to think of a band since then that has reached those kind of numbers, you know, that has that, had that kind of impact because we're sort of in a different world now where yeah. guitars just, guitars aren't as popular as they used to be. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, there's, there's real growth as you listen to their albums from the first one up through American Idiot and beyond. There's, there's a band that, that pushed the boundaries of what they were doing. doesn't mean they were always successful, but, but I'd rather see a band try and grow than to just necessarily rehash the same thing over and over and over. There's few bands that can get away with that. I mean, ACDC can do it, but they're one of a kind. Um, most bands, it's law of diminishing returns as you just do the same thing over and over again. Uh, but Green Day, um, they got more interesting to me as they went on. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, and put on a great show. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure and, that record's great. Yeah, and I, I, got, I very much got that vibe at the time, too. Like, this was a band, like, because I, I was in the classic bands at that point, so I could I already knew the trajectories of some bands that would go up, and then they had their their peak and then they kind of came back down or they maybe stayed at a similar level. And I could see that that was the point they were at. So it was, I was kind of like, Oh, I'm witnessing history. Like I was very aware of that at the time. So yeah, that, that, that record means so, so much to me. And uh, I got to see them for the first time this year. I braved a stadium show. I was really nervous about it. I, mm. but I wore my mask the whole time. And I, I, I cried like a little girl when they played, I'm not going to lie. I was so <laughs> happy to see 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 them and finally get to see one of my favorite frontmen perform on stage so yeah, that's yeah, so great that was a special yeah show. i've i've never met billy um but I, I i used to work for a company that um that uh put together recording studios and uh we did their facility out in uh, berkeley california so i did get to briefly meet uh trey and oh. mike and super nice guys and um and uh, yeah, we uh, we got to uh, go backstage at uh, the show when they actually played in Manchester, New Hampshire, which rarely happens. Most people don't venture further than Boston, but they came up to the show up here, and we went to the show, and uh, and it was a great show. Uh, just a just a big ass rock and roll show. It's funny to think of this, you know, quote unquote punk band, right? Yeah. From from the early records, doing this big stadium show with the, you know the, all the trappings of a big big stage performance. Um, but they kicked ass. They were great. They were yeah. To great. me, that to me they become, and this might be sacrilege to some people, but this is just my belief. They're the new Who. They became very much like the Who. I think when the when the Who did Tommy, they kind of transformed into that type of rock band. I think. Well, the way that the way that Tommy was transformative for the Who, it was really, I think the Who were many. I I love the Who. They are my top five bands of all time. Yeah, and, I'm not gonna lie, it was uh, hard to leave live at Leeds out of this. Yeah, yeah, uh, me too. Um, but they they I think were as much as the early stuff. There's some great things in there, and I love the Who sell out album. But it was really Tommy where they found their voice, where Townsend really found his voice as a writer and Daltrey found his literally his voice as a singer. And from then on, it was, you know, full on who like nobody else. Um, but I think um, American Idiot was like that for Green Day and yeah. that they they transcended just being kind of a, a, a punk or pop punk or whatever you want to classify it you know they they 
became their own thing once yep. they hit that record in a, in a big way. Nice. Yep. I'm going to pick uh, the most important track for me because this is my audition piece to get into college. I did all nine minutes of Jesus in suburbia. Uh, so I'm going to play a little clip of that right wow. here. <laughs> yep. Great. Yep. Uh, I remember doing, setting it up like uh, this funny story. Uh, I did it in the choir room at my school and my teacher, you know, she's, she's an older lady. She's into like Carly Simon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I've got this instrumental karaoke track of Jesus of suburbia and I'm dropping F bombs and I'm, I'm, I'm singing a very violent so song at a very high volume. And she just kind of looked at me like, like, like this is how you're going to get into college. Okay, great. But it worked out. I got in. So. Good yeah. for you. I'm a generation lost. The Jesus of Sabbath got my fire around. I'm a fearful. I'm a steady tiger. Shot a popper in a lot. Now I never die from my sins. And now, as far as I can tell, it's the ones I got away with. And there's something wrong with me. This is how I'm supposed to be In my love, everybody! Get my television facts Sitting on my cruise, I've got some living room On my private room All the bombs have rats in the rear The wall of the fallen tide This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing this, Brad. I'm just Absolutely. curious, do you, have any, do you have any honorable mentions? I do, as a matter of fact. It, I mean, there's, boy, there's so many, but just to name five um, that we haven't talked about in some fashion, um, Average White Band. I'm a big Average White Band fan, and their live album, Person mm. to Person, is just great. Just another fun record to listen to uh hendrix band of gypsies i think is probably my favorite hendrix records and record and that's probably not true for most people but i love that record that was very influential for me as a guitar player and just machine gun alone is is worth having in your collection for that uh queen live killers another great uh album where the songs just you know kind of take on a life of their own a new feel in the live uh arena uh, fog hat live um yep. i talked about fog hat on one episode of my show band i don't think it's nearly enough respect they kind of a butt of many jokes but i think they were a great band yep. fog hat live unlike most of the albums we talked about was a single lp it was not a double album so there's no fat on that record there's yep. no 20 minute drum solo it's just tight in and out every song great and of course frampton comes alive i mean yep. uh it's it's uh listen to it with fresh ears and that's a damn great record it's lots of great songs some amazing guitar playing uh the guy's charm comes across on that record i know it's a cliche or you know but listen to it with fresh ears and that's just a great record it's no wonder that was such a big album it kicked I'm, all of this off 
totally. I'm going to throw out uh, for a few of my honorable mentions, uh, Sticks Caught in the Act. Um, uh, even though it does the thing where it fades out between tracks, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, Sticks was important was an important band to me, so Sticks Caught in the Act. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, uh, Live Seeds. Uh, big Nick Cave fan. I love the energy of that record. Uh, a new, newer one that I've been enjoying a lot lately. I'm finally, after all these years, getting into Zeppelin. And uh, man, I love the song remains the same right now. That record is just, it, it's it, insane to me. Uh, no Quarter is a haunting, in, insane song. Like it's something I've been playing so much lately. Um, yeah. Uh, my, um, me personally, I think the both the versions of No Quarter and the Rain song on Song Remains the Same are better than the studio version. I know that's probably sacrilege to many people too, but just something about those songs in the live setting with the you know the echo, the space of the room, and all of that really adds to those those songs. Um, yeah, probably uh, probably not a favorite for a lot of people. But um, I do I do like that record a lot too. Song remains the same. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, go ahead. That, that was my introduction. Actually, that's where I started. I've not heard the, any of the studio records, so that'll be interesting when I finally get there. I chose to because I was like, okay, this will be a little sampling, and I learned that that record is not as well received as I thought it was. I thought that was like something that was highly revered, but no, I enjoy, I enjoy it. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna also. Uh, what were the other two uh, that were sitting out earlier? Uh, Oh, Leonard Cohen, uh, Super Near the Grand Tour. I love that. It's just a little oddities collection, but it's a fun listen. And then uh, my rich, my other Richie Blackmore pick, uh, Rainbow Final Vinyl, which is like this B-sides comp, but it's mostly live stuff. I love that. I love Rainbow. Um, I love all eras of Rainbow, by the way. Like, I even love like the, you know, the AOR stuff. I think that's really cool. So that's a fun release, I think. It's interesting that um, across our our twenty albums, the Deep Purple was the only place where we, the only thing that appeared on both of our lists, different albums but same band. Right, and you and, and you picked stuff I was familiar 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 with, but just didn't end up picking. I will say uh, one last thing before we wrap this all up. There was one thing before we do plugs. Uh, I was expecting you to pick that you didn't, so I got to ask uh, Todd Rundgren uh, back to the bars. Uh, it's a good live record, but I don't think it's, I don't think any of those, well, I shouldn't say that, but overall, I don't think that those songs are, are better than the studio versions with, with a couple of exceptions, exceptions. I think a dream goes on forever and especially, um, the last ride are better on the live album than they are on the studio record, I think, but for the rest of the the material i just as soon hear the studio versions so again not that they're bad but but you know my heart lies with the studio records and that's why i didn't i didn't pick that one if you know if i was going to tell people to give todd uh, a try i wouldn't say start it back to the bars even though it's a nice career retrospective it's not where i would start i would pick one of the studio records whereas for deep purple for example i would not hesitate to tell people to play made in japan or kiss start with kiss alive you know so that was why that didn't make my list okay just curious yeah because that was one i was like okay that's the classic 70s todd todd Rundgren live album that might make his list so yeah interesting yeah yeah that was another case of an album that was um because he finally had a hit again with can we still be friends mm. uh, the record company I think was kind of, you know, pushing him to do uh, 
do a live record. So we came out with that record. Um, and it's it, some of the songs are utopia from utopia shows and some are from his solo shows. So it's a mix. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you're it's a must for a Todd fan. But again, if you were going to start with Todd, I would point you in and probably a couple of the rec records to start with rather than that one. I'll definitely get there eventually. Um, I'm down the Todd rabbit hole right now and I'm getting them as I as I can find them. So I'm sure that'll hit me eventually. But Brad, well, when you're ready to do a Todd show, um, yeah. yeah, let me let me know. And I mean, you could do a show on Todd and then you could do a show on just his production work for other people. Oh, yeah. So many records he produced for other people, which are interesting conversations there. So. Utopia. We could do a Utopia show. You could do a whole Utopia show. I mean, there's a band that had an arc yep. for sure. Yep. So great. Uh, Brad, I uh, want to plug your show real quick to wrap this all up. It's just been so much fun. And I thank you for coming on. Like, it was great meeting you. Oh, and I, I thank you for I, having me. You know, one of the things, so my show is called I'm in Love With That Song. And what we do each episode is we pick a single song and we, we dive into it together, you and me as listeners. And we try to discover why is this song so great? What is it about this song that really works? And so we, we look at the history of the song we look at the individual components that go into making up the song, the performances, the production, uh, and uh, and really just try to get a better understanding of what makes a great song. And the episodes, like you said, they tend to run uh, 15 minutes, not often not longer than 20 minutes. So they're a nice bite-sized chunk of, uh, of podcasting for your pleasure. Um, but one thing I don't often get to do is to talk about full albums on my show because I focus on a song. So doing something like this was, I mean, this was great because uh, live records are such a big thing for me and uh, to be able to talk about a whole record rather than an individual song was fun. So thank you for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. I consider you a, a good friend of mine now, man. Yeah. It was great. Me too. Rock and pod. So yeah, we'll Thanks, do this brother. again for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Hell yeah. Uh, till next time, I'm the Sly Dog. Peace, love, rock and roll. Well, I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's only me and I walk alone. This empty sheet on the boulevard of broken dreams Where the city sleeps and I'm the only one that I walk alone I walk alone, I walk alone I walk alone, I walk up My shadow's lonely, lonely walks beside me Oh, I
Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.